0: Rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to another episode, friends. I am sitting here in Franklin, Tennessee, and another episode of Rumors of Grace. It's been a it's been a little while taking a break. Uh, it's that time of year, so thank you for for coming back around. And today I'm glad that we put some time into this next episode because you're going to love it. I have a very very special guest. Her name is April Hernandez Castillo, and you may recognize her from her many roles on the big screen and the small screen, like uh, Freedom Riders, Law and Order, Dexter. She was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, and began her career as a stand-up comedian uh, originally. But as a survivor of domestic violence, she's become a spokeswoman for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and a nationally recognized activist and social entrepreneur. Her Hollywood fame has provided a platform to connect her with people of all walks, to speak into their lives, to inspire hope, strength, and bold faith. She's also an author. Her book is called "Your Voice, Your Choice: A Story of Resiliency and Redemption." April, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. I've been I've been uh, trying to get this interview for a little while, and I'm glad you took the time out today. Um, so maybe we go back to to the beginning. Um, you're in New York right now, right? Yes, I am. So
1: I. I Grew up in the Bronx. I live here in the Bronx, but I usually travel all across the United States.
0: Okay, so you're back where you where it all started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and tell me a little bit about your childhood. What was it like growing up uh, in the Bronx uh, in your family?
1: Absolutely. I grew up with a you know two family house uh, household. My mom and my dad. They were loving parents. They tried to give me everything that they never had. Growing up in the Bronx during the 80s was, hmm, it was interesting. It was intense. It was dangerous, but yet it was beautiful because there was such a sense of community Mm. that I think we, we lack these days. Unfortunately, it's one of those, Uh, Everyone knew who you were every, you know, you knew every neighbor and everyone knew who you were. And, and I miss those days of having that. So in, in all of the brokenness and the corruption and just the, unfortunately, I grew up known as the crack epidemic era. Mm -hmm. So crack came and destroyed families. And, but in that, once again, there were hardworking people that I was surrounded by. So it was beautiful for me.
0: Hmm. Did you have siblings?
1: I do. I have one brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have one brother. And did yeah.
0: you did you always know you wanted to be a comedian or go into acting? Was that something you always desired?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think as, I think I think as Latino people, we're just naturally funny. I think our charisma makes us, you know, just oh, we come in all different colors, and but i it wasn't anything that was embedded in my soul. I actually grew up very athletic. I played sports. I played volleyball. I played softball. I was a Yankee fan, of course, being from the Bronx. And I actually wanted to play for the Olympic softball team. Hmm. So acting was never part of my repertoire at all.
0: So how did that all unfold was, for you?
1: Well... I went to college, I went to Hunter College, and I originally went for nutrition. I thought, well, I think, you know, becoming a nutritionist makes sense, and then I walked into the chemistry class, and then I walked right out, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I don't do chemistry, okay, we need <laughs> something else, this girl doesn't do it, and, you know, in college sometimes you need elective classes, and so I chose this 101 acting and so I always tell people that acting found me. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: So you didn't do, so you didn't really start until you were in college.
1: Yes, I didn't. Absolutely. I didn't start at all. I was, I, am a late bloomer. I started late in the sense of, you know, in the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. But once I, once I started, I, I, I just fell in love and, and it started happening quickly, booking work and, in in doing theater, uh, and all the jobs that started, I had to leave school. I had to choose. Do I remain in college or do I go for it? And so I chose to go for it because when Hollywood calls, you go. <laughs> Cause those doors don't always stay open.
0: Right. So were you in New York or were you in, in Hollywood at the time?
1: I was in New York. Okay. I was in New York and, and thank God I had people around me to say, build up your acting muscles in New York City. Mm. Don't necessarily, you know, rush to LA because it's a completely different world. And I'm so glad that I listened to them because it is, it's just a different place. So I stayed in New York for a while.
0: It's funny you said that because I have a daughter right now who's at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City, and she chose that same path and told me that, um, She's been on the program before, so but it's interesting that you just said that because that was a decision she made. She said that she really wanted to get her acting chops and training down in New York before she went to Hollywood. So uh,
1: yes, yeah. most most it's always like this thing of um, if you wanted to be considered a real actor, you studied in New York City. Mm-hmm. It just adds this character to you, this grit, this ability to you know, I don't know, I guess it's just the New Yorker in us, that vibe. So once you go to LA, it, it really is a different world.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so you get into the acting world and, and did you hit it big right away? I mean, you know, you've had some really big roles on some big shows and had some notoriety. Did that happen overnight for you or was it just a little bit at a time?
1: Yeah, I feel like. You know, once I made a decision to do, to, to become an actor and I was always a hustler, you know, in the sense of like, I would always networking became my only way. And I, and I always felt like I was in the right place at the right time. And so I, I did a commercial, uh, I did a a commercial with Yao Ming and Yogi Berra and it aired for the Super Bowl. -hmm. I don't know how many times that happens to a first time actor. But that was pretty cool. And mm. me being a Yankee fan, of course, I couldn't believe I was meeting Yogi Berra. I had no idea who Yao Ming was. <laughs> I didn't realize that he was one of the <laughs> tallest Chinese men ever. And and that it would air on the Super Bowl. Mm. So it was a highlight. And that really sparked people getting to know me and know my work and who I was. And then, I, you know, you do the law and orders and you... Do all the television, and then freedom writers happen, mm. and that really changed my life.
0: Oh, I bet, I bet mm-hmm. that's amazing. So, so your life has has changed, and let's let's go into the part of your life. Um, I know that that may not be pleasant, but really kind of sets the stage for the rest of this conversation. So, here's this um, girl that grew up in the Bronx. She goes to college. Freak things happen, everything falls into place and just the world opens up for her and you're just, you know, on cloud nine, the American dream. And, And then talk to me about the next stage of your life. Well,
1: I think before all of the fun happened, there was the tragedy in the sense of me ending up in, an abusive relationship. Mm. I was in an abusive relationship from, uh, for about three and a half years. So from like 16 to 19 and a half.
0: So this was before where college.
1: I, so this was before college, okay, yeah. So okay. I was being abused while I was in high school. Mm. And it, he was my first love. I, you know, and I wasn't really into dating. So this was big for me. I, as I was very focused on my schoolwork and just going to college and getting my education. But unfortunately, I fell in love with someone who was uh, very toxic. Mm. And so it was hard for me to leave because the thing about abuse, um, for people who are listening to this, who have been or are in an abusive relationship, you don't necessarily know that it's happening. Mm. Right? So it's like a web. You're in it and you don't know if you can get out of it and you don't know, well, maybe this is a one time thing, even a second or third time, Mm -hmm. but usually it's obviously worse (laughs) the longer that it goes. Mm. So um, for me, it was that long. So this was
0: was physical abuse then.
1: So this was emotional and mental and um, physical. Yeah.
0: Mm. And, and, you're, you're uh, a teen, 16 to 19. What, what was, were your parents observing this? Did they know what was going on in, at your home, in your home at this time?
1: Well, I just knew how to hide it really well. Mm. I think most teenagers hide many things. When you don't want someone to know something, you will do everything in your power to not let it be exposed. Mm. And I just figured out ways to not allow my parents to see. But there were signs. Uh, I was a, like a B plus student. My grades were going down. I am an extrovert. I'm very friendly and outgoing. My I just began to isolate myself. I didn't really. There were definitely signs and changes. I just don't think my parents really had the tools to recognize a sign.
0: Mm. And what what call what was the culmination for you? You said between sixteen and nineteen, did something change, or was there? Did something come to a head uh, when you were nineteen and you got out of that relationship?
1: Yes. Well, there were several things. I was no longer. I was becoming the aggressor. Oh wow! I was no longer really afraid. And I knew something very serious could happen where I would may- maybe have a reaction because mm. I was just so tired of the pain and the abuse. And then when I woke up one day and I knew I just wanted to commit suicide, like I just felt this mm. such an urge, this heaviness and, and the topic of suicide was nowhere near as rampant as it is now. It wasn't right. available. I, I never knew anyone who was suicidal. So I knew so, so what I know now is that that's how much it just tells me how much pain I was in
0: mm.
1: for even me to come to a place where I didn't think I wanted to live anymore.
0: There you had given up all hope.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to, I just wanted out. Mm. And I also didn't know if I was going to leave. Was he going to try to hurt me or my family? Mm. I didn't share my, my story with anyone, mm. anyone, no one knew, no one knew. About my abuse. Mm.
0: What was the turning point for you?
1: Just that moment, mm. that moment of me getting on my knees. Like, I, I woke up that day and I said, I think, you know, I know my mom has some something in the medicine cabinet. I'm mm. just going to drink it all and I'm going to pray that I just don't wake up.
0: Mm. So, and
1: I got on my knees and I prayed.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I wasn't Christ I grew up Catholic, I, I knew of God. Mm-hmm. And I just said a sense of prayer and I said if if you can save me I don't I don't want to die because really that's what, that's where it felt like it was going in the relationship
0: mm-hmm. And so that was a turning point for you was it the kind of thing where you just said, okay, I'm went through this transformation um, there's a divine that's intervened and you just all of a sudden turned around and became, went to college and became a movie star. I'm sure it wasn't that simple.
1: I can't say it was simple, but I definitely made a conscious choice hmm. to, to, to say this will never happen to me again. Hmm so I didn't have this language and I didn't really know, but Tony Robbins speaks about taking massive action.
0: Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's what I took. Mm. So for me, that sometimes when we think of massive action, it sounds massive, Mm. right? We sound like we have to do this. It literally was just making a decision. Yes. I made a choice that I would live and I would live my way and I would never allow anyone to belittle me or hurt me ever again Mm. you know and it was this sense of like well you almost tried to kill me i didn't die i kind of felt this i felt invincible um in the sense of like well then watch me
0: Mm. Mm.
1: watch watch what i can do
0: how do you translate that into 2020s is is i know you're an you now are, are are an advocate um and you talk about this, and and with the national mm-hmm. coalition against domestic violence, um, how how do you communicate that to to women of young women and women of all ages? How do you communicate right. that? Like you know, for me, it was like you said. Um, it was a turning point, and I made a decision, took massive action, and you know I turned my life around. How is that right. com- communicated, or how do you communicate that? Do you see that same type of thing going on today? Obviously, obviously the answer is yes. But I, I'd love to hear, like, how how are you communicating that? What are you seeing? Are you seeing yourself in some of these girls, women?
1: So the facts, uh, the statistics tells me that violence among youth is, is increasing, Mm. has increased. It is, it is prominent. (laughs) It is sort of a, an epidemic because it's happening way more, Mm -hmm. Um, more than ever. I've seen it before. And Mm. I have proof because every time I'm in a room, I ask the question who here has witnessed, or know someone who's been abused Mm. 99% of the time, most hands go up all Mm. of the hands. Wow. And so I always ask this purposely because I know that there are teachers and, and, and and we don't know what our kids are going through. But when you see all the hands go up, you realize, wow, this is becoming so regular for many of us. Mm. So when I talk to them, I, I, I tell them that love, real love does not abuse and you cannot confuse love and abuse.
2: Mm.
1: You cannot confuse uh, toxicity from someone. Um, and, and it's not even just with your partner. It can just be an intimate partner relationship. You know, it can be from your friend. Mm-hmm. It can be from, you know, family members and you have the right, you have the right to use your voice and say, no, I, I don't, I will never accept this. And you get to choose you get to choose on who you allow into your life, and I think that when kids hear that they don't ever realize that they actually have a choice mm. you know because kids were they're always told what to do how many of us are really giving them a choice
0: mm. in the age of of me too and and the awareness and the openness of, of of, of this and more openness about mental health and suicide do you feel like um things are changing you said you feel like it's worse do you, is that because just that we're hearing about it and people are open to talking about it or do you feel like um, it is worse than when when you were young
1: so i'm sure the abuse was happening but back in my day i came from the era of you know speak no evil see no evil and you just don't ever talk about it i think kids these days are so amazing and they really do have a voice and so they're speaking about it more because that's just the, that that's just the world that we're living in these days where Kids are activists, and they are very aware mm. of everything that is going on in this world, which I, which I absolutely love about the youth of today. Um, but I still think that, unfortunately, because of the media, pictures, videos, the access to social media, uh, I mean, violence is just a part of life. Right. So, for instance, last week. I saw three videos, three videos of young girls getting beat up in public.
0: Mm.
1: And no one did anything.
0: Yeah, that's amazing when I see that too. is it's It's the awareness of, it seems like the awareness of it is so strong, but you see people are becoming more and more numb to it because you didn't, Talk about it, or hear about it, or see it happening as much back then. Now you right. people see it so much um, because of social media and videos and people with phones. It's almost like when you see it in real life, it's it's not something that surprises you, and so you see these videos of people getting beat up or abused, and people just walking by not doing anything.
1: Yes, which is. <laughs> which to me is very scary Mm. uh, because you wonder where, where are we going in this world that I can look at a young girl, get beat up and not feel something Mm. Mm. to, to be completely, you know, social media was created to connect people, but yet we are so disconnected. Mm -hmm. Talk to talk.
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and, and, and so I just think that, well, it's not my problem, it's not my issue, um, and I think everybody needs to know what what gets them angry, right? So that's how sometimes if you don't know what's your purpose or passion, you say, well, what what gets you angry, what gets you mad, what moves you? Some people aren't moved by it, and I get it, but at the end of the day, that's a human being, and you are a human being. Mm-hmm. How can that not move you? mm on just a human level, I don't care what you believe in, I don't care your gender, that is a human being. Yes. How do you not take something? Yes. But you stand there with a camera and get it on camera. Mm.
0: Mm. I yeah. never
1: understand that.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting time. Um, I know April that you're nationally recognized as an activist and a social entrepreneur. Talk to me about right. talk to me about that. I want. I'd love. I know my listeners would love to hear. So what are some of the things that that you that you've done that you're doing? I find that fascinating.
1: Right. So, you know, there was always a shift. I mean, I'm. I will always be an artist, an actor, a creative. But we live in a world where you have to have many hashtags. <laughs> you know, you, you you have to be so many hyphens of in the sense of uh, yes, I'm a creative, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm this, I'm that, and my husband and I, we've worked together and we are business partners, and we have a film company called Lion Chaser Films. Mm. And we, when we created it, uh, it was about 2010. I was working on the show Dexter,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we knew that we wanted uh, we would never want to sell it to anyone. We wanted to be able to have full control and creating the content that had purpose that would show the world in a different way visually because we do live in a visual world and so it's been amazing to just create content and put out and have people look at things differently and so my husband we've we've been doing that for about 10 years now
0: Wow, that's great. and
1: to oh yeah and to just show people that you can actually be you know with your husband or your partner and they can be your business partner and creative partner as well and that's our goal we've been together for about nineteen years mm. 13 years married and every time i say that i cannot believe it because <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like we are growing up and but it's been amazing and and really what god has done in the sense of our relationship and keeping us keeping us tight. I think my husband has seen me in many facets of my life uh, with all the ups and downs and everything that I've gone through. And he's, he's always been very constant. Mm. So being an entrepreneur with my, with my husband, I I feel like that's just God's natural way of showing the world that it's possible.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. What type of content do you guys do and what kind of things do you put out?
1: Well, we've created on a corporate level, you know, my husband, he's done stuff for like Madonna and fashion designers, um, for soccer teams. But when it comes to us, it's really just been about, you know, using and creating stuff for, you know, letting people know about domestic violence Mm. in our way and how people will understand our language. Um, because I think people get things misconstrued about it. And so we're always trying to say, how can we show this in a different way? Mm. How can we say this differently? How can we get someone to think outside the box?
0: Mm. And you so know, cause, do you travel yeah. around and speak for, for on behalf of, um, I guess kind of maybe your own work, but also the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence? How does that work? What Tell me what a typical month uh, in in April, Hernandez's life looks like.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be filled with auditions because I'm still acting. I was actually in two episodes of the, the hit show New Amsterdam, yeah in January. So that was amazing. I'm always auditioning. Uh, and at this point, I find that I've shifted sort of my conversation and my speeches, working specifically with youth about teen dating violence and now really trying to reach the parents because I feel like parents are left out. Mm. Parents are underserved, they're uninformed and I have the ability to inform them not only from my experience, but also I am a parent. My husband is a teacher, so he works he's frontline <laughs> you know, you could call that frontline ministry working with high school students uh, with younger men of color and so we really have a pulse on what is going on and I say as much as the children are the future the parents are the present mm. the parents are everything and yet are we, are we doing our best to reach them and educate them as well because once you when you can heal parents everything else follows that
0: mm. Mm. What is one thing you'd like to say to parents of, of children today, uh, specifically daughters? What, what do you think that they're missing or they need to know? As someone who, who has lived this, who works in it, who, who go, travels the world and speaks about it, you've written a book about it, what, what's the one or two things that, that you really want to say to parents today?
1: I think the greatest gift that we have as parents and we don't realize it is the ability to understand and Mm. to listen. Mm. I don't know what happens to some parents where I don't know if they forget that they were young once (laughs) and we expect our children to be a certain way. And my question is, well, are you setting that same standard? Mm.
0: That's good. That's good,
1: right? I, I just always feel like parents want X, Y, and Z, and I go, well, that's great, but have you set that example? Mm. You want your child to climb the mountain, yet you've never even put on the shoe to get ready and climb that mountain. Mm. So just imagine if we can get both of you thinking that way. Listening, listening is healing. Listening can save a life. Mm.
0: That's good. That's good. What What would you say um, is the one or two things that you're seeing that is common amongst um, all the people you talk to? Um, one of the things. What are the things that you're seeing is if if people would realize this one thing or this two things about their lives you mentioned take taking massive action making decisions right um, right. But when you're in the middle of that, um, I can imagine mm-hmm. that you as a, as a young woman and, and even you know people today of all ages, if they're in these abusive relationships, um, it's hard to see life clearly. It's hard to look at reality through your own lens. Um, and sometimes right. that lens is not accurate. Um, it's colored right. and it's distorted with, with your own experiences and childhood traumas and whatever it may be. But but what is it that that you have found in the midst of that? Is just a couple of uh, of things you could say to maybe somebody who's listening to this, who's struggling, who's in it, maybe has a child who's gone through it. Um, what right, are, right. what are some of those things?
1: I would say compassion.
0: Mm.
1: I mm. love grace. <laughs> mm. I think we need to extend so much grace to ourselves as parents, as adults, Mm. because sometimes we feel guilty that we can't give our kids everything we want. But just knowing that even if you're giving as much as you can, that is, and that's all you can do, then you need to be proud of yourself that you did that much.
2: Mm.
1: Because, you know, it's so hard these days being a parent because there's so much going on and we sometimes feel like, man, am I, do, am I doing a good job?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and there is no measure, right? There's not a numerical like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm at a hundred where there's times where I feel like I'm at 5% <laughs> and yet my daughter will say, mom, you're the best mom ever. Mm-hmm. When I think I failed right. Which is most of the time, because <laughs> I just, motherhood to me is, is, uh, it's difficult. Because mm-hmm. I never wanted to become a mother so being a mother is like oh okay, it's a constant challenge of saying am I here? am I present? Yes. So knowing that you know what I'm I'm doing enough mm. because my daughter is very happy so I must be doing something right
2: mm.
0: Yeah having and, and having so, grace for yourself as a parent is is huge because you know we always feel like, oh my gosh, I've failed and I've messed my child up. Now they're going to repeat all this stuff in their life, right? It's like right. <laughs> you, take, you want to take responsibility and yet you also have to realize uh, that uh, everybody has their own journey and people have going, been going through journeys for thousands of years and thousands of right. years from now they will be going through their own journeys as well. So I can, I can have grace with myself and know that um, it's going to be okay. You know, I can make massive action. I can change at any time and at any age. That's great advice.
1: Yes, Yeah. And I think I don't, you know, I don't hide from my daughter. I really let her see me as
0: a mm. woman mm.
1: because I never saw my mom. My, my, I had a very tumultuous relationship with my mother and I saw glimpses of who I thought she would be. But all I saw was just a woman who never allowed herself to be seen because of all the pain and trauma she experienced. So Mm. I I think a lot of people, a lot of parents fear allowing their kids to see them in their, in their flaws. Mm. And I go, but that's not how God sees us. So why are we setting ourselves up for that? God sees all the flaws and yet we're his imperfect masterpiece. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I allow my daughter to see me in my flaws.
2: Mm. I don't
1: try to act like Wonder Woman because I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm i not perfect and nor do I care to be. Mm. And so she sees that. Mm. And, and it's embedded in her head. of like mommy is a woman and then she's my mom. Mm.
0: Mm. That's powerful. That is powerful. You know, it's so, it sounds so simple, but it's so powerful that, um, I think for a lot of us, and, and again, being a father, I, I can't necessarily relate, uh, but my wife, I know I know there's always that conflict of doing the right thing, trying to be protective, trying to do what is the best thing for your child. And what right. I ke- what I keep going back to and what I keep learning and what I keep hearing and especially from you, is just be transparent and honest and real. That could be the best thing that you could do for your child, and that in itself, and yeah, mm-hmm. in, in, in that in itself is what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember necessarily, you know, the instructions you told them or you know the moral example that you led. La- that you led. While that's important, what's really good they're going to remember is you know my mom or my dad. Um, I saw them when they were weak. I saw them when they were strong. I saw them when they shed tears. I saw them when they failed. Um, and that, I think, is, is what makes a, a really balanced and healthy uh, relationship uh, with your child. Don't, wouldn't you agree?
1: That is the only way I know how to mother. Mm. <laughs> that is the only way. Mm. I Transparency is is. Is in my DNA, I heard Joyce Meyer say one time, um, being transparent is a gift that I have from God. And when she said that I connected with her and I realized that that was also my gift mm. that I realized not many people can be that way. Mm. And so that's one of the things that I tried to show and teach that it's not that hard.
2: Mm.
1: It really isn't. <laughs> really isn't it's just coming to a place of saying can i can i bear my soul can i let my kids see something because i do believe right there are certain things that sometimes it's just too hard to share and i completely respect and understand that but that's where god wants to do his greatest work hmm.
0: Hmm. april talk talk a little bit about what was what's in your book what what were you trying to communicate with your book your voice your story a story i'm sorry your voice your choice a story of resiliency and redemption um, what was that like writing and what have you seen as been the outcome from, from that book in the last couple of years
1: it really was a book i wish i had when i was going through my experience it was the book that I wanted to create for a young girl who felt like I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm worth it, but you know, maybe if I read someone else's story, I can gain strength and the courage to, to leave a situation that I know is unhealthy. And if a boy reads it, it's the same thing. I've had men read it and confess that they had been sexually abused when they were young and to me that is enough <laughs> because if I can get someone to recognize your pain doesn't have to define you. Mm. Uh, the fact that you, you can you can still be used, uh, that that abuse doesn't stop your life mm. then 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 that's that was the whole purpose. I mean, I had always dreamt of writing one and it took me it took me so long to even attempt to write a book. I'm, I mean, I'm not William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't have that, but I just knew I had a story right? and someone would read it and find some kind of hope. Mm-hmm. And, and really that, that was the whole purpose. It was terrifying. It was terrifying because I got to speak about things that I don't get to share on stage. Because of timing, because of context, because of whom I'm actually, you know, communicating with. But when you write, there's something that happens. And so I encourage people to always write, journal. Even if it's not a book, it's just you releasing. Mm. And it's, there's freedom in that.
0: Mm. What kind of feedback have you had on the book?
1: Oh man, I, I, once again, like I just shared, I I had a couple of men read it and, and they were confessing and I thought, wow, I never thought that that would happen. Uh, I, I recently met a young lady. I was in Mississippi Mm. and she took a workshop with me and out of nowhere, she says, well, for me, I know what domestic violence is because my, my father murdered my mom. Wow. When I was seven, Mm. which I'm not usually speechless. I Mm. had no words. (laughs) And she read my book and she said, I felt like you were like all your words were just for me. Mm. And I know one day I can write a book because you wrote a book. And to me, I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Right? Yeah. I'm
1: done. I'm yeah. dropped the mic. Yeah. In, you know, once again, I think with abuse, you know, we tend to compare our abuse Stories and we think, well, I didn't really go through that, so it can't be that severe. Or I didn't really go through that, so why would anybody want to know? And to me, I always tell people abuse is abuse. It doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. You know, it can, it can just a threat of abuse can cause trauma to someone. Mm. It doesn't matter. Mm. So I'm very careful of my advice that I give, and I'm very careful to never really minimize anyone's experience because especially when you're talking about sexual abuse, that is a whole other <laughs> whole other dynamic of, of the effects later on.
0: Mm. I saw somebody posted something, and it stuck with me. Um, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, Trauma is not a competition, and I thought I thought that was really good because, you know, it's so easy for someone to say to you or for you to say to yourself, you know, you may have suffered something uh, in childhood or, or any time in your life, and then you see someone else and you're like, well, gosh, I guess I didn't really suffer at all, or boy, that, I guess my trauma is not that bad. And, and it's not a competition. Exactly. It's not... It's not. It doesn't matter if someone, even if someone said to you that something to you as a child that has been burned into your brain, um, that you see that you have issues with. You know, someone told you you were fat or you were ugly or religious trauma or abuse, you know, any type of abuse, however far, you know, as extreme as murder all the way down to someone just saying something to you one time that you can't get out of your head, um, you know, that that's pain. And regardless of, of where you are and who you are, um, if that's not dealt with and acknowledged uh, and really seen, um, then it's sad that people can go their whole lives uh, many times and minimize it feeling that it's not that important or it's not as bad as someone else and be held back and it's a block from them from ever really moving forward, fulfilling their dreams, doing what they really always wanted to do, whatever that may be. And I'm sure you see that time and time again in your work.
1: Right. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that, that is powerful, that statement. It isn't. I it, once again. I, I think we live in a world now where people have the language that I didn't have the have access to before, is understanding you know trauma and secondary trauma and all of these new phrases that kids have access to. And and you're right, comparing it or feeling like, well, I didn't go through that, so I'm not that bad. At, mm. at the end of the day, if it affects your everyday life, then it is bad
0: it is, it's not good for you. Yeah. 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 And I mean, in trauma is as simply a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, right? So (laughs) that can be, (laughs) it can be, it can be anything and, and not to make light of it or to over um, overuse a term because terms can be overused, but, uh, but um I'm sure, and again, in your work, you, you know better than I do that you know you see these people, whether it be um, young women or, or even or even young boys and young men now, um, who are in situations where there is abuse going on, physical or emotional or even spiritual. Um, yeah, I've had people, mm-hmm. I've, I've had people on this show that grew up in extremely spiritually abusive uh, uh, situations where you know they were told you know, not only were they bad, they were bad and ugly, but that they were going to be, you know, punished eternally if they did certain things or didn't do certain things. And, um, you know, the, that's equally abusive and traumatic as well. So, um, talk to me a little bit about um, what it's like for someone like yourself who uh, is a person of faith who is a person of uh, what you've gone through your activist your what you're doing with your social entrepreneurship being a being a mom what is that like to be in the whole kind of Hollywood scene um, is that is it more more and more common in there are people like you and it seems it feels like that's there's an awakening to more and more of a, 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 a of the me too movement of other things um, is, mm-hmm. is, is that accurate talk to me about what that life is like for you
1: hmm you know <laughs> it's interesting I you I have seen where Hollywood has accepted more of a faith community
0: mm-hmm. Right, right What about your your sure. act, what about your activist piece of um, you know is that uh, is that an avenue for you to because that seems like that's acceptable and that people are you know saying I, I'm sure no one has a problem with you talking about, you know, uh, abuse and and the coalition that you that you speak for does that open doors right. for you to, to to for people to to hear and to find common ground for you to talk more openly about your faith.
1: Definitely, definitely, because it's at the end of the day when you're sharing your story, it's your testimony. Who can negate it mm. unless they've been there? So that has been a blessing. And most of the time, I'm not really sharing my faith, but I think once you have the love of Christ in you, and once you have walked with him and you really operate on that level of saying, no, I, no, I walk with God, I think you are the loudest gospel that anyone will ever read or see or feel or touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they just see it. They can mm-hmm. feel it. They know it's there. And I haven't even said a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and for me, when you're called and your purpose, it's just going to come out. And when I have the opportunity to do it, it's it's amazing. It's a freedom that, to me, I'm always like, guys, it's, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I just want to share with you what happened to me. And I wish that you would have, my hope is that you can have the same experience. Mm-hmm. But we live in such a different world these days. But for me, I always say, this is what happened you know, this is how it happened for me, Sure. my opinion, right. this is my experience. And I think as long as I always say that people really just are open, mm. Mm. you know, they don't, they don't feel anything. They actually just feel like, wow, okay, that's amazing. Like, I'm, I'm not here trying to, you know, gain followers of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just trying to just share right. my testimony. Yeah, And yeah. I think yeah, you like, you remain cool about it, you know? It has, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be like this weird thing. You're just like, man, this happened. And I'm not here for any—I'm not here—I'm only here because of who God is. Creator, whoever you want to call Him, I call Him God.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. Well, I know you've got responsibilities and you're on a time limit. Before you go, can you tell people how they can— um, They want to learn more about what you're doing, your work, your book. Can can you just drop all the social media uh, handles and and websites for us?
1: Absolutely. So I mostly communicate with people around the world on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that is April L. So there's April and then an L, Hernandez. I am on LinkedIn. That is April Hernandez, Castillo. Um, I, I'm about to have my website ready to go, so I don't want to give it out yet and people go and there's nothing there, but that is the best way, um, to find and connect with me if they want to after hearing this. Mm. And also if they want to purchase a book, they can go on Amazon and it's called Your Voice, Your Choice.
0: That's wonderful. Well, I I just want to uh, thank you for uh, being who you are. I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for for being an advocate uh, for those people and s- specifically the women uh, around the world that that need a voice that you can help to to give them one, to give them courage and hope and recovery. And um, so, thank you for that. I think that's uh, that's amazing. And and we're there's a lot of us who are very thankful for you. So. I appreciate that.
1: Well, I appreciate you for even uh, giving me the platform to speak, and I, my hope is who, whoever hears it that that they know that they are not alone, mm. and um, and there is more for them. So, thank you for the opportunity to tell my story. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely, and and will we be seeing you on the big screen, small screen, anytime soon?
1: Not as of right now, (laughs) like I said, I was just on television, so you kind of missed me, but, um, I'm, I'm always speaking, I'm always traveling and I'm, I'm in the process of, of putting pen to paper and writing a second book. So that is, that is my goal for this year to finally put out a, a new book.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome, April. Well, thank you again, and we'll we look forward to catching up with you soon. And um, I hope that a lot of people listen to this podcast and and come to to follow you and connect with you and get behind what you're doing. So, thanks again for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Have a blessed day.
0: Okay, you too. Bye bye.